0: Well, we're carrying on in the, uh, the story of Samuel, really key, key kind of journey in the history of God's people, but we've given it a title, which sounds as though it's kind of really connected with, you know, 21st century identity, who do you think you are? Uh, what I want to do is, is, this afternoon, maybe look at how incredibly relevant that is for us today but at the same time, how incredibly relevant it was to this time. This story occurs around about 3,000 years ago. And and when we, in kind of sophisticated 21st century Great Britain, hear that, we might think, well, you know what, it's just so long ago, it's so irrelevant to us today. Can it speak speak to us today? I think it can. I think it can speak to us very powerfully. and I think it can speak to us for this this reason. At root, we are the same. We are the same people, we have the same issues. They might look, they might be dressed in different clothes, uh, but they walk the same pathway. We have the same concerns, we have the same struggles, uh, and we have the same challenges, but we also have the same hope. We also have the same uh, understanding that the God who speaks in the life of Hannah is the God who speaks in our life. That's what we believe if we believe the storyline of the Bible. And so we're going we're to really del- delve into this idea of, of our identity. Uh, and one of the things that when we think about that, I think it's really important to maybe realize, I don't know whether you've ever considered this, but we always find our identity in relation to others. It's always in relation to others outside of us. We find out who we are in relation to them or that. Sometimes that can be because we sit with the same identity. Relationships, ethnic groups, tribes, nations, religions... All of those different ways in which we identify ourselves, interests, work that we do, the work that you do. It's very interesting, I found it fascinating. I think, was it Matteo said last week, or maybe it was in conversation with him? I think it was in conversation with him maybe. One of the things he said in Italy, it's really fascinating, people identify themselves by their family, by their heritage, who they are in terms of their family, It's incredibly important. Your surname kind of almost defines you. Now, probably there are pockets of every part of the world where that's the case, I guess. Maybe we don't feel that same kind of association, but there are different ways in which we define ourselves in relation to others. The other way that we do it is not by association, but by contrast. We say, I am this because I am not that kind of person. Or I don't do this. Or I'm better than that. Or I'm not as good as that. I'm not as rich as them. I'm not as powerful as them. But I'm more powerful than them and I'm more rich than them. You see, our identity is absolutely rooted in our relationship. Now, one of the great challenges with that is that if we define our relationship and our identity, sorry, if we define our identity through those relationships, one of the great challenges that that brings is that the other side, as well as ourselves, can default in that contract, that contract of relationship. The other side can default They can break the contract of identity. Who I am is defined by you, but if you break that relationship with me, who am I then? Who am I if this happens or that happens? If my children don't turn out to be who I want them to be or my parents turn out to be very different than I assumed them to be? or my friends, or my relationships, or my partner, or whatever it is. Our identity can very easily be crushed, the tribe that we associate with. You've heard me for the past few years railing against the the kind of extreme right-wing popularism. Fascinating to see clusters over in the States who, who feel now betrayed and let down and their identity is crushed because the other side has broken the contract. I tell you what though, this past week has made me actually love the freedom to speak in agreement or in disagreement. That is, that is such a precious gift. In fact, it came originally. The freedom and pluralism of religious thinking first came with the Christian faith. It came with the idea that as a Roman citizen, I should be able to say, I do not worship the authorized Roman gods of the empire. I have the right to worship something else. I might not I might not fall in line with the rest of my community. I'm not claiming that everybody should worship my God, but I claim the freedom to speak freely. I, didn't, I, did, I find it inconceivable that we can now live in a world with the kind of media and connection and, and communication that we have. That a whole nation can be switched off from alternative views of what's going on. And look what happens when that is the case. How dramatic when, when the other side of the contract of, of honesty and openness and relationship or the opportunity to even be dishonest is broken. What a broken world and how our identity is crushed when we see that. So here's the question. Can the faith of an ancient woman 3,000 years ago be a guiding light for us today? Can it speak to us in our lives, in our identity, in our struggles, in our understanding of who we are? Can can that happen? 3,000 years gap. It's It's a fundamental question because of this verse in Psalm 119 and verse 105. Some of you will know it straight off the top of your head. Your word, it's a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. That's what God says about His word. This is His word that we're coming to this afternoon. And here's the question. Can that word from 3,000 years ago be a light and a guide for me today? Does it work like that? Can it work like that? I believe possibly more than more than ever the past ever, more than any time in the past two hundred years, we're entering a phase where it can speak more powerfully. because what we understand more than we ever have in recent thinking is the power, of us sitting alongside somebody else's story. Sitting alongside their journey and allowing their experience to be a voice into our lives. That's what we're encouraged to do right now. Because this isn't some theological preach that Hannah makes. It's a song. It's her experience. It's it's a moment of outpouring of joy and thankfulness. It's her life writ large in song. And she's inviting you and me to sit alongside that journey to understand how she sees herself for us to understand, therefore, how we might see ourselves. The first thing that we see in this journey as we work through this text is Hannah's surprising joy. It's a surprising joy. Back in the previous chapter, in chapter 1, Ash was taking us through last week, we see that Hannah's, Hannah's in a mess of a situation. Hannah's in a mess. I think one of the great points that Ash made last week is We turn to the Bible and it seems as though loads of the kind of holy men of the Bible had multiple wives. It always ends up in a mess. It always ends up in a mess because we can't give our heart fully to more than one in the way that we're called to. And so we have this situation where Elkanah has Penina and Hannah And in verse six, we see this. Penina, Hannah's rival, keeps provoking her, in order to irritate her, because she doesn't have children. There are two levels that that is provocative. The first level is this: that the sheer idea that your future security is rooted in offspring, and they are a blessing of God, that that's one mindset one way in which people think. When you do not have social security, the idea of children who can take care for you, is, it, it's not a cutesy, nice blessing of family kind of thing. You are blessed because you are likely to survive. Because your children will care for you in your old age. They are your security. They are literally your social security security they are your future Uh, and and the idea in the mind of of the ancient was that that if you are not blessed in that way then there is a there is a crisis of your relationship with God but there is another level written deep into the hearts of every Hebrew woman was the idea that she might be the bearer of the future hope That's what's written in as well is that that you might be the one who brings the hope to the nation. You might be the one who who brings that that seed of hope that brings us future glory and security and safety. And so Hannah is oppressed by her rival. But she bursts out in verse 1 of chapter 2, if we can get that on the screen. Then Hannah prayed and said, it's called a prayer. But I think in a real way, it's a song. I think in the Hebrew, if you read it in the Hebrew, without a doubt, it's written in a lyrical form. It says this, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high or my strength is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. For I delight in your deliverance. Look at the contrast that Hannah has between chapter 1 and chapter 2. In tears, broken, oppressed by Penina, In chapter 1, in chapter chapter 2, she erupts with joy and she basically says this. I am boasting over the words that you declared to me. The words that I am declaring now are greater than the words that you were declaring to me. That's the, that's the concept, this, this idea of the boast. I have found a greater strength. I have found a, a louder voice. I've found my voice in the face of what you threw at me. What, what, what hope that she's filled with. What hope and joy that she's filled with. Her, her previous identity. What she, what she lived in. Who she identified herself as was an oppressed woman. And now she finds herself released from that oppression. It's as though the the chains have been broken of the oppression. The words that stung and broke her can't even now reach her. In fact, they can't even now be spoken It's an amazing turnaround we see that she now boasts over her antagonists. But the second thing that we see which is surprising is that it is neither Hannah herself or Samuel that is her joy. Think about that. Because that that is really powerful in the contrast between the way we see our human identity, and the way Hannah sees her identity. She, in, in the words that she uses, she doesn't look over the crib and say, you are my joy, you are my hope. She doesn't look into the eyes of this little baby that looks up at her, and she doesn't find herself fawning and secured in this little baby. Nor does she look in the mirror and say, I've achieved it, I've found my hope. She does neither. Neither of those she understands, or at least she shines a little torch on the pathway of life for us. And she says this, if you put your hope in a child or yourself, you might be let down. You might be let down. But let me shine this light for you because my hope and my delight is in your deliverance. And she makes it really clear in verse 2 what, who she's speaking to. Her deliverance in verse 1 is not Samuel, it's the Lord. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. In the middle of her adversity, do you see the journey that is unfolding in the mindset of Hannah? So that we sit alongside, we kind of, we follow in the coattails of this elderly, ancient woman who is walking a pathway for us to follow. Because in her grief, when her words can't even come out of her mouth, but she's kind of forming shapes with her mouth, she's looking to God. When the joy comes, her joy is directed to God. Both occasions, In the sorrow, in the joy, she's saying, that's where I'm looking. That's where my hope is. It's been a huge privilege over many years to to spend time with so many folks as they've been through challenging times, difficult times. It has been humbling that again and again and again, the words that are formed or, the, or the, the attitude that is expressed is that in that difficult time, it was God who was my hope. It was God who encouraged me. It was God who strengthened me. It was God who got me through it. Again and again and again. It's as though there are people today who are walking behind Hannah and saying, your pathway is right and true. And I know it to be true because I've walked in your very footsteps. You've directed the way that I walk, but I know what it is to step in that footstep of sadness and know that God is my hope. I know what it is to come out the other side and to be able to say God is my rock. That's what Hannah is saying to us. That's the light that shines on our pathway. That really, for me, brings, <coughs> brings the possibility that what you are doing, God, is you are promising that the words in your... The, the, the ideas, the thoughts, the hope in your word is as equally a hope to us today as it was when it was written thousands of years ago. It's relevant Because the trials of Hannah and the the emotional experiences of Hannah are the same as many of our emotional experiences. Oppression, fear, social failure, being mocked, being considered as nothing, having an identity which is crushed into the ground. But what Hannah says is this, when my, when my relationship is with you, my identity is raised up. Who I am is lifted up. The answer to Penina. I think verse 3 is almost like Hannah singing out as Penina walks out of the room do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. If you could write one text over what's going on in the world today, I think it could be that text, couldn't it? We don't know how it's going to end. We don't know what the next months or years might bring. But we can say this. Do not keep talking so proudly. Do not let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord our God, is a God who knows. And by him deeds are weighed. That is a great confidence if you are looking at what is going on in in what is now across many nations being described as war crimes. Let me say this, God sees. God remembers. Those deeds are weighed by the creator of the universe. Those proud acts will not be forgotten. How can we say this? We can say this because as Hannah unfolds this praise, she starts to bring out the second point. How can she have that confidence? Her confidence actually is not in herself, not in her son, but it is in the nature of God. She's saying, I am confident because of who you are. Her security comes from the, the confidence that she has in the God who she has faith in. So who who have you got faith in? Look around the world today. Who have you got faith in? Who do you really trust? What what is the what makes up the values of somebody who you trust? The character, who they are. That's what we say. And, and yet all of that is always fragile. And What Hannah says is in this song is, I have faith in the nature and the character of God. The first is this. You triumph, so I'm strengthened. Verse 4. The bows of the warriors are broken. But those who stumbled are armed with strength. Wow. The bows of the warriors are broken. God hates human conflict. God hates human conflict. We are not made for conflict. We are made for relationship. Does that mean that the fact that we can rise up. Is God in some sort of tentative win, cosmic battle? Is it, is, which is often the way the idea of God is portrayed. When I was young, one of the... One of the um, yeah, I'm going to age myself here now. One of, the, one of the artists that I really liked was Christa Berg. Before he started all that woman in red, lady in red rubbish. Some of his older stuff. And he sings a song about God and the devil playing poker. There's a train that runs between Gwedalkidia and Old Seville. That's about the only line I can remember. (laughs) But it portrays the idea that God and the devil are playing this game of cards. Who's going to win? Is God going to win? Is the devil going to win? It's tentative. That's the way it's portrayed. Hannah knows that is not the case. He knows that she knows that is not the way it is. God will win. You will break the bows of the warrior. Those who stumbled, those who are fighting their way through, terrified by what is going on behind them, but looking to you, those who are stumbling, but looking up. They're the ones that are going to be strengthened. Not the ones who look strong now. You triumph, so I'm strengthened. You fill, so I'm satisfied. What she sings next. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. Hannah's creating this contrast of the attitudes of our minds. She's saying that those who are full, that they've eaten well, but they hire themselves out for more food. Why? Because what they've eaten doesn't satisfy them. And so they need, they need to hide themselves out for more and for more and for more because what they're getting isn't satisfying. But what she says is, but those who you feed are satisfied. Now let me just stand 3,000 years ago and throw a huge line forward, 1,000 years. And Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hannah's saying exactly the same. And Jesus comes and he says, You were right, Hannah. And I'm the way in which that is fulfilled. I'm the satisfaction. I'm the one who solves thirst, solves hunger. Because the hunger and thirst that you're talking about is that deep, deep hunger and thirst. The kind of hunger and thirst that's written deep inside of you. See, the narrative of Hannah in that line that we've just thrown forward and the beauty of this song is that it prepares us for something better. Hannah's song is the beginnings, the the flavor, the essence, the hors d'oeuvre, the prototype, the taste, whatever we want to describe it. It's it's the beginnings of something better. And actually, I would would guess that from verse 6 onwards, we almost see the outpouring of the gospel. So Hannah's Hannah's. Recognition that God satisfies me, and Jesus' words to say, "I'm the one who satisfies," come together. And I want to encourage you now to do this. And you all, you, I think we always need to do this when we come to the Old Testament. I want us to take a journey to Jerusalem. Thousand years after Hannah, Jesus has. Been crucified, he's been buried, he's risen again, he's ascended. Let's stand at that point and look back and read this story in the light of that. Because what we actually see as Hannah continues this song is the flavor of the gospel. The first is this the context in which Hannah sings. Because a thousand years later, a woman without children has a child, miraculously, more miraculously than Hannah, an older woman who it seemed could never bear children. Another woman has a child, her name's Mary. And if you read her song, It's almost as though the two women are singing in harmony. So the first is the context. The second is this supreme authority is that Hannah finds her identity and hope is finally made clear to us in Jesus. Look at what she says in verse 6. Sorry, 6 to 8. If we stand at the cross after Jesus has risen and ascended, and we read these words The Lord brings death and makes alive, He brings down to the grave and raises up. How amazing is that? Let's stand at the cross. And read those words. What is the nature of God? He brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. And then we look at Jesus and we say, we kind of cheer. We say, yes, Hannah, you were right. You sang words of hope in God and we don't really fully understand it. We don't really fully see what you were singing until we see Jesus. Because He is the one who is brought down to the grave and then is raised up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor for the foundations of the earth of the Lord's. On them He has set the world who's the one who becomes poverty-stricken who becomes a peasant who leaves the glory and then is raised up read philippians chapter 2 and we see that jesus loses <laughs> he is he, he he is given poverty and then he is raised up to wealth And we see the insight of Hannah's words when we stand alongside Jesus. And we see that the protection that Hannah has in her faith is written into the security that the New Testament promises us. Look at verse 9. He will guard the feet of His faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that you prevail. If it's not by strength that you prevail, how do you prevail? That's the question. You prevail by faith in God. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said what? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In this world, why does the writer of Hebrews say that? He says that because, because our security feels so tangible in the things that we have. And when all of those things are stripped away, when we don't have God says this, I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. And in the same way, Hannah, peasant, ancient Hebrew, knows that her hope is in God. The confidence in Hannah's song, finally, is that God will prove to be victorious. He will prove to be victorious. Look at verse 10. Those who oppose the Lord. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. See that? It's not that they might be broken. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Why is the coming of Jesus as a baby significant? The past two pre-Christmases we've looked at this. The coming of Jesus as a baby is significant because, partly, at least, because it assures us that He will come again. He will return. The advent, the coming of Jesus is the assurance of the second coming of Jesus, when Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Every created human being will glorify God. Every created human being will glorify God. Because every created human being will one day acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God. That's, the, that's when Jesus is glorified. And so, Hannah Kinds of shines a light for us. And she says, I want to light a pathway for you. I want want to invite you. Because the contrasts that we've seen in this is God raises, God crushes, God delights, God hates. God protects, God abandons. The light that Hannah shines is this. God invites us to have faith in him. Because it is through faith in Him that we sing from the inside. We sing from the inside. We sing from the inside of the relationship. That is what God invites us to do through the pathway that Hannah walked.